from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you can give us a call if you want to join this late-night national town hall. We are live, coast-to-coast. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a few things I want to talk about. Earlier today, I was invited on television in the U.K., uh, Great Britain News, GBN, a uh, Discovery-owned television network in the United Kingdom. And uh, I gave my thoughts on on the Trump indictment, as I've been doing for the last few days. And it, it, what was interesting was the person that preceded me on the program was a, a person, now I'm drawing a blank, I should have written it down, but a former chief of staff of Joe Biden's when he was uh, a senator. And... Um, Oh, geez, I wish I remembered her name. Platt. Susan Platt was her name. And Ms. Platt uh, was, you know, she made a bunch of allegations saying, you know, there's going to be 30 more counts against Trump and this, that and the other. Uh, But she said something and she said, you know, so, so far, I think Joe Biden's doing a great job. And I thought, what what good job is Joe Biden doing? Is Joe Biden prosecuting Donald Trump? If that's the case, and if that was an admission of that, oh boy, right? This would be a a problem. But no, I think, you know, the things that Joe Biden is good at, and um, something I mentioned on the program, was I think Joe Biden's doing a great job at inflation. He's doing a great job antagonizing or allowing himself to be bullied by Russia, China, Iran. That's just to name a few, right? We've got drone attacks. We've got um, journalists getting kidnapped and jailed. There's all sorts of things happening. You've got China hooking up with Brazil and changing the currency and booting out the United States dollar as the petrodollar and the reserve currency for certain trade deals. I mean, for her to say, I think Joe Biden's doing a good job, I, I would take the, the job that Donald Trump, Mr. Indictment himself, is, is doing because he's doing a better job than Joe Biden is. We are in a world of hurt internationally, domestically, financially. I don't know how anybody coming to Joe Biden's defense could say something like, oh, he's doing a great job. (laughs) I think you got to say something like, well, you know, the president is dealing with the mess that he was left by the previous administration, right? That's how you spin this. I don't know that you're able to spin this by saying he's doing a great job. I don't know if you think I'm wrong. Let me know. But anyway, I will put uh, that clip of me on GBN if you want to see what I said. Uh, put it on my social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. It's already up on Instagram. It'll go up on the other ones a little bit later. And uh, it, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't square with me that a local prosecutor, a county prosecutor, right, New York County, Manhattan DA, Manhattan is the county, New York County DA, District Attorney Alvin Bragg is constructing a federal felony at the local level. This just, it boggles my mind on how they're able to do this. We're going to get into that a little bit more later on. But to say that I'm going to create a a federal felony that is a local misdemeanor 
But then I'm going to also write a letter to Congress and say, look, you have nothing to do with this. You're not allowed to be involved, even though I'm concocting this federal felony. I, I, I just I don't understand where the gall comes from. Perhaps it's my naivete. We'll have a federal prosecutor on with us in uh, just a little bit, actually, so that we could get to the bottom of that. However, the big story today, in addition to obviously the um, the story from yesterday of uh, the indictment against Donald Trump is former Speaker Nancy Pelosi making the comment that Trump has a right to prove his innocence at trial. And of course, you've probably heard this all day, uh, but it bears repeating. And the reason it bears repeating is because if this woman who was Speaker of the House twice, not once, but twice, and is literally 80 something years old, and served in government her entire life, her entire life. If she doesn't know that in the United States that we are innocent until proven guilty, man, no wonder we're in the problems we're in, right? No wonder we're in these problems. And again, and that's me being generous because I could easily say she knows exactly what she's doing. She's not stupid. She's nefarious. She meant to say what she said because she believes that he needs to prove himself innocent. If it were her, she'd have a right to uh, be you know, innocent, they'll proven guilty. But because it's Trump, he's already guilty. But I don't want to go that far just yet. Although they went that far with so many others, right? Not the least of which were the people at January 6th and one of the most famous ones, the QAnon shaman guy named Jacob Chansley. And uh, I think he's like super famous, right? I think everybody knows who this guy is, the guy with the Viking hat with the horns and he had a tattoo and like the United States flag painted on his face. This guy's been in jail since like January 7th or 8th or whatever. And he's completed his entire prison term. And uh, there's reports today saying that he's been released early, but it's not early. He served his time. He's just transitioning to a halfway house. And it's interesting how all of this happened somewhat um, quickly following the release of the video. Now, again, while he's served his time, this video uh, that was exculpatory came out of police showing him around, and all of a sudden now now they can, you know, let's, let's make sure the wheels of justice are moving very quickly and we get this guy, you know, out of here on time. And, and it just, you know, again, I'm not a special pleader for Mr. Chansley. I don't know him. Um, I don't know him. I don't know Q. I don't know many QAnons, although I do know a few. And, and I, I usually argue with them. <laughs> but the bottom line here is th- this guy literally did all his time. And to do all your time and then because of a special, because of thank God we won an election and thank God Speaker McCarthy decided to release this information to Fox News and it comes out on the uh, Tucker Carlson program and then all of a sudden now some of the wheels of justice are moving, you know, two years later. To me, it's not only unacceptable, but it's a sad day, right? It's a sad day for American justice when that's the case because he had a Viking hat on and he got a tour and clearly he's not all there. And I don't mean to be insulting. I mean, clearly he's not, uh, he didn't go there with any malicious intent. The guy was there trying to, you know, do what he did. He didn't steal anything. He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, walking around. But clearly he had a tour guide. And if you haven't seen that video, then you probably think I'm off my rocker right now. But he had two tour guides, Capitol Police, saying, all right, this is this, this is that, there's video of it. So 
it's just fascinating to me that we're at this place in American history. And, and again, I'm not here to, to say that you should go and bang against barricades, against the Capitol Police and fight against the Capitol Police, none of that stuff. Uh, and again, one of our guests points out that that stuff looked like it was B-roll that was shot at a different time. So if that's the case, that didn't even happen in real life, right? That happened in fake life. And it was designed to make it look one way when it was really another and lock up a lot of people. That's why they were locked up for parading and trespassing and not necessarily for assaulting a police officer like the people that said that uh, Brian Sicknick was killed by somebody who hit him in the head with a fire extinguisher and then it was later revealed that never happened. Just like when they said that, what is his name? The young man with the excellent aim that killed the pedophile. Anybody remember? Come on. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Jeez. Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. So Kyle Rittenhouse, um, again, they said he went across state lines. He did this. He did that. He did all sorts of things. And then it was like, oh, no, he didn't. The gun was already there. His dad lived in that part of town. He was just going to see his dad for the weekend. And he was actually very involved in public service. The story changed miraculously. That's why he won in court, because the facts were on his side. The truth was on his side. But the media, they had a field day with that. So sometimes you really just can't believe the initial uh, media account. And it's a sad day when, when you have to say that, but that's where we are. It's been a sad day for a long time. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into a bunch of things tonight. Uh, we're going to uh, talk with uh, former federal prosecutor Doug Burns. He's scheduled to be with us, former chief of the criminal division in New York for the Department of Justice. We're going to talk about this indictment. We're also going to talk about reparations, right? Uh, California has proposed this crazy reparations plan. Uh, we're going to talk about that and the need to bring patriotism back to the United States. I second that motion. Uh, as well as uh, some interesting polling that's out there. Uh, plus, we've got a conversation that we're going to have a little bit later on the International Transgender Day of Visibility uh, with anti-feminist activist Isabella Riley, and she's moody. So you don't want to miss that coming up uh, in the uh, at the bottom of the second hour. But first, we're going to take a quick pause right here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to resume. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America I don't think we should get too far ahead, ahead of ourselves because the the charges have been sealed, right? The indictment is sealed. So right. we're hearing it's 30 counts. 30 counts of what? I mean, 30 counts of misdemeanors? Are we talking about a felony? What, what are we talking well, about Well, Michael here? Cohen, it happened in a federal court, correct? The difference is this is a state versus... And I think what's wonderful, in my opinion, as a former federal prosecutor, is that a president cannot pardon himself from state crimes. Oh, is that so? <laughs> Why, if it was a federal crime, he could pardon himself? Yeah, and I think that he has a pocket pardon somewhere in some safe somewhere. I do. I believe that about him. All right, America, welcome back. That is Sonny Hostin. You're listening to the genius of Sonny Hostin on The View. This is one of the most brilliant women on The View, and I don't know if that's a compliment or a diss, but we're going to talk about that comment that she made with our buddy C.J. Pearson. He's host of the wrap-up on PragerU. C.J. Pearson, welcome to the program. Rich, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You got it, my man. So let's let's talk about this. 
What do you think about Sonny Hostin? Because, you know, as she touted for herself, she's a former federal prosecutor and she thinks uh, Trump has a pocket pardon somewhere. And uh, they're just going on and on about, you know, the obvious. Of course, you can't pardon yourself from a state crime. What do you make of this? Yeah, Rich, I think what we're seeing, you know, in terms of this Trump indictment is that the left has realized they could not stop President Trump in any which way. They've tried to impeach him. They failed at that. Or they tried to remove him from office. They failed at that. And now they are literally trying to put him in jail. And it's absurd. And so, yeah, of course, you have Sonny Hostin um, talking about these conspiracy theories on our show. Um, because that's all they know how to do when it comes to talking about this president. But what they fail to realize is that the amount of support that this president has in this country, but also the way in which they have completely united the Republican Party in support of this president as he undergoes this incredibly political and partisan witch hunt, uh, is a way in which they will truly, truly regret. Uh, It's so interesting seeing even folks like Mike Pence, um, who has been increasingly critical of President Trump, say, this isn't okay. This isn't good. You know, I saw a uh, recent interview that Governor Brian Kemp did, who wasn't always the best, bestest of buds with President Trump either, who said, this looks very political. This looks wrong. You know, they are uniting the Republican Party in a way that I have not seen in quite a long, long time. And I think that they are going to suffer the consequences of their actions very, very soon. Yeah. And I think you're right. And, you know, let me tell you a quick story. So, you know, I go, I get my coffee at a, at a Cuban coffee shop and it's a little restaurant, uh, cafeteria. You don't, can't really sit there and eat. It's kind of like a takeout place, but the guy there, the guy can't, he's one of the few Cubans in the world that doesn't like Trump. This guy can't stand Trump. He was a truck driver. He drove a big rig. And he said, when Trump started the trade war with China, he lost a ton of money and eventually got out of the trucking business and opened this restaurant. But today he tells me, he says, let me tell you, he says, the fact that they're talking about 30 more in he says, look, I hate Trump, but I'll tell yeah. you this. This sounds like what they did in Cuba. And he said, let wow. me tell you, this is purely political. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't like Trump and I don't want him to win. But he says, honestly, people are going to vote for him just because he's going to become the underdog because they're being so yeah. dirty against him. And I said, man, yeah. if the Trump haters are saying that, that you know, people, <laughs> Trump's going to win, because he said, he goes, he's just going to end up becoming president again, which is, this, yeah. that was his prediction. I thought if, if the yeah. Democrats that hate Trump are thinking that, boy, then maybe we should just sit back and watch it happen. Yeah, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, thought about that quite, quite a bit. I'm like, maybe this is just something we should just let happen. You know, the president's going to fight. I think ultimately he's going to be exonerated. I think people should call this out. People should condemn it because it is exactly what you describe it as a political witch hunt. But at the same time, I really do think that the consequences of this issue are going to be felt a lot more so by the left than at all by the right. Um, just because, again, of the unity that we're seeing. Like, I think, you know, we're probably hours away from even Mitt Romney himself having to release a statement saying that this is the wrong thing to do. But, again, you know, if these folks weren't actually intimidated by President Trump potentially regaining the White House, they wouldn't be doing these things. They wouldn't be, you know, launching these partisan investigations, not only in New York City, but also in my home state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta. And notice the commonality between all of these prosecutions. Who are the DAs behind all of this? They're Soros-backed, they're Soros-funded, and and they're Soros boss as well. And I think that we have to actually – maybe that's what Congress should really be doing here because – Obviously, you know, the House doesn't have much jurisdiction or oversight over state prosecutors or local prosecutors uh, even. But what they can do is look into how Soros is impacting the takeover of our judiciary here in America. I think the people deserve to know if their judicial system is being weaponized by some billionaire with a political agenda that is completely 
the antithesis of everything that we stand here for as Americans. 100% right. And again, when you take into account, uh, you know, who the source is here, right? And the source being Honey, Sonny Hostin in this situation, yeah. um, it, it becomes questionable. And she's had lots of things to say about everything under the sun, right? She's Puerto Rican like me, but uh, she's talked about reparations or she might be black and Puerto Rican. And, 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 and I find her position on these things just interesting, especially when there's yeah. proposals out there like the one in California where you've got people that are saying, you know, they're proposing this $800 billion plan for reparations where, you know, again, more than the state's entire annual budget, more than, you know, almost three times the state budget, where we're yeah. talking about a million dollars per older black resident for health disparities. Uh, and again, I'm not against anybody for their race or for their health disparity. I'm just saying, A, I don't think it's re real, like <laughs> realistic. I don't think it's feasible. Uh, and, yeah. and B, where do you come up with these numbers where they're like San Francisco saying, we're thinking of doing $5 million payouts? Like, hello, <laughs> where does this come from, C.J. Pearson? Yeah, you know, well, Rich, I, you know, I'm 20 years old, and, and I'll let you in a little secret. I, I've never been a slave. And from what I understand, <laughs> no one alive today was a slave, and no one alive today owned a slave either. And so this is absolutely absurd, but just yet another example of the left looking to buy black votes rather than actually earn them. They have no agenda for the black community. And if you want to talk about the agendas they claim to have, all I see is the way in which it's destroyed the black community. Look at every single inner city in America. Look at Chicago. Look at Detroit. Look at, uh, you know, even Atlanta in, in, in many areas. You see destitution. You see poverty. You see failing schools. And you see lawlessness and crime. This is not, you know, if anyone owes us reparations, it's the DNC. And, and, and George Soros, instead of pumping millions of dollars into taking over district attorney seats, maybe he should actually be the one cutting these checks for reparations. But again, you know, it's just yet another example of the DNC, the Democrats, the left trying to buy the black vote rather than earn it. And it's honestly offensive. You know, my vote is not for sale. My political uh, beliefs are not for sale. The Democrats have not earned my loyalty nor earned my support. But what they have earned is my condemnation. Because, And here's the way I feel about it, really, to sum it up. The left destroyed the black community, and now it is time for the black community to clap back and destroy the left. All right. Pause right there. We're coming right back to you. We're going to continue this conversation. Plus, we're going to talk about the importance of patriotism with C.J. Pearson. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the A. I know a little bit about the ATL. I've been down there. It's a good time down there. So we'll talk about that as well. If you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Our guest is C.J. Pearson. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez and our guest, C.J. Pearson. You've seen him on PragerU. 
uh, where he hosts a program called The Wrap-Up. You've also seen him on Fox News Channel. He was uh, just on Outnumbered, I think, and, uh, excuse me, the Faulkner Focus, and he was uh, killing the game there. And I want to continue to talk about uh, both reparations and then transition into this this topic that we brought up earlier in the week where we were talking about the uh, the how patriotism and religion and so many things were dissipating of a Wall Street Journal NORC poll. And uh, I think there's a need for patriotism, but um, it seems like I, I might be alone. C.J. Pearson, what say you? You know, I think there's absolutely a need for it. And, and I, you know, I looked at that, that study from the Wall Street Journal, and I got to say that while I was definitely disappointed, I can't say that I was surprised. You know, as someone who just recently left college, the University of Alabama, I know firsthand the indoctrination that's being thrown the way of so many people, my generation and Generation Z. And what we're seeing is that they're told these lies about America far too often, that America is this racist, sexist, irredeemably terrible nation, when that just isn't true. I think if you look at, you know, throughout the totality of history, not just the bad parts, not just slavery, not just segregation, totality of American history, which unfortunately isn't taught in schools today, you see that America has actually been a liberator on the world stage. You see that America has been truly a shining city on a hill, a beacon of freedom and liberty. But that's not what young people are being taught. They're being taught that nationalism is a bad thing, a bad word. Having faith in your country, how dare you? Having pride in where you live, how dare you? And it's absolutely absurd. And I think it's one of those things that young people, uh, you know, they need to be educated about the way in which, uh, you know, America, the true story about America. And, you know, think, something that we often say at PragerU is education got them in this mess, and education is going to get us out of it. But what it's going to be is not this CRT-driven nonsense that demonizes white people for being white and victimizes black people for being black. But a real education that talks about American exceptionalism, that talks about the country that America truly is, the country that me and you know, Rich, and all of your listeners here. And I think that that is how we actually win back this culture war. But another finding in, those, in, in, in that study that was really troubling and alarming, and again, goes to the way in which society has demonized all of these things, is that the people that believe that having a child is very important to them, decreased by, I think, more than 30 points in that survey as yeah. compared to 1998. And that's worrisome. You know, at the end of the day, we've, we've, we've got to reproduce. You know, I've always had this position. If people on the left of all these feminists march in the streets wearing vaginas on their head don't want to reproduce, I'm okay with that, Rich. I'm more than okay with it. But <laughs> our side does need to reproduce. We need to be having babies on babies on babies. And I think that at the end of the day, I think a lot of conservative women are, are totally on board with that. Um, but we, we shouldn't rest on our laurels. We shouldn't be complacent. Um, if we can't beat them, at least let's try to outnumber them. <laughs> I love it. Let me ask you something. How did this happen to you, right? Because most 20-year-olds don't possess this level of common sense. Was it your parents, grandparents, church, uh, a book? What happened to you? Yeah, so what's interesting about, about my story is I was actually raised by my grandparents, and they're actually on the other side. They're Democrats. Um, but the thing about Yeah, but Democrats from back are, in the day are like to the right of most Republicans today. Right, exactly that. So, but they still vote this way, which is a, a topic of intense debate within our household. But, you know, <laughs> they're still very conservative at their core. You know, I grew up going to church every single Sunday. I grew up learning about the importance of faith and family, of fiscal conservatism. Just because you have it doesn't mean you should spend it. Like, these were the truths that were ingrained into me when I was a little kid. And I remember when I was in the second grade, um, I had a great teacher named Mrs. Best, and I credit her all the time because she truly did start this journey for me, where we had a mock election where the two candidates were Barack Obama and John McCain. We had to research the candidates and decide who we were going to vote for. 
And so, right. Yeah. And so I remember sitting and I'm going to age myself a little bit, but only as much as a 20 year old possibly could. I guess I was sitting on the floor um, of my uh, living room or my grandmother's bedroom, actually, and watching the debate with Candy Crowley moderating. And I remember, wow. you know, hearing all of these things, obviously not knowing what Iran was or healthcare reform was or any of that, but knowing that what those two men were talking about was really important. And ultimately, I voted for John McCain. It's something I would never think of doing today. But, you know, of course, the choice was limited back then in that election. So I voted for McCain because my grandfather had served 20 years in the military, and I respected that about him at the very least. And so I cast that vote, and I wanted to read everything I get my hands on. I wanted to figure out, was I a conservative? And the more I learned about conservatism, the more CPAC speeches I binge-watched on YouTube and all those things, I realized that everything that conservatives were talking about in America were the things and the values that my grandparents had raised me around. And so a funny story about that election, and when I came home and told my grandmother that I'd voted for John McCain, she asked me, oh, so do you think you're white? And, you know, implying that the color of my skin should be through my politics. And, and I had no idea what that meant then. You know, I was, a, I was a six, seven-year-old kid. I had no idea what identity politics were or what it was. But now that I'm older, obviously, I knew what she was saying, which is why I've been so passionate about really trying to change that perception. I think that it's offensive just as much as it is. For California, a state that has never, ever, ever practiced the institution of slavery to try to buy my vote with reparations, as it is for people to believe the color of my skin should dictate my politics. You know, I dream for a day that you can see a group of black people and not be able to ever assume how they vote. I see a group of white people. I can never assume how they vote. I can't assume if they're liberal or not or if they're conservative. But why can you why should you be able to do the same for the black community? That's the moment that if we can do that, if we can change that. We can revitalize this country. We can take back the party. We can destroy the Democrat Party in a very real way, or at the very least, make them actually have to earn our vote, something they never, ever have had to do. You know, the blue and purple hair does give it away sometimes, but you're right, and you're on the right track. <laughs> uh, C.J. Pearson, he's the host of the uh, the wrap-up on PragerU, at the C.J. Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. And C.J. Pearson, let everybody know um, – how else they could find you if there's a website or, you know, what you're working on and how they could keep up with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, you guys can check me out on Twitter at the CJ Pearson on Instagram. It's the same username there, the CJ Pearson. And also be sure to check out my show, the wrap up on PragerU.com. Also available as a podcast, wherever you get that Apple podcast, Amazon, and I will see you there. Awesome. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Hopefully you'll come back soon. I appreciate you staying up late. We're live and national, and uh, this is the late night, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful you were with us. Thank you, my friend. You got it. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez. We're going to get to your calls right now momentarily. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. 833-4-VALDEZ. And again, um, Trump's attorney, Joe Tacopina, says that Trump will face 34 counts 
at his arraignment next week. He's scheduled to show up at the courthouse in New York City on Tuesday where they expect him to surrender himself and take the biggest Kool-Aid grin on his face and put it in front of a camera for probably what might be the most famous mugshot ever. And uh, I can't help but think of when I was watching a news report not too long ago. I think it was NBC, maybe MSNBC, one of the funny stations. And um, and the guy, you know, he's giving an update, uh, a live shot somewhere to the people in the studio. And he says, well, you know, we're, we're here and we're just we're covering the the biggest story on the planet. <laughs> Those were his exact words. And I thought that is so funny, you know, that and again, it is a big story. Don't get me wrong. But it just the fact that the media is so involved, you know, I'm covering it from the perspective of I can't believe they're doing this. This is kind of crazy. And they're covering it, you know, from the perspective of OMG, I can't believe this is happening. It's finally happening. And they're texting all their friends and their mom. So, you know, I guess it's a potato, potato, right? Anyway, let's get to your calls. Uh, let's check in here with our buddy Matt in Moorhead City, near Moorhead City, WTKF, North Carolina. And Matt, what's up, my man? You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Rich, WTKF. Um, yes, sir. Anyway, this is very important to you. First of all, I told Tom, that 20-year-old you had on earlier, I didn't catch his name. C.J. You know, Pearson. Okay, J.J. Pearson. Thank you very much. Most uh, intelligent... 20-year-old I've ever, I've ever heard on the radio, and I'm a 63-year-old CEO of a company with my name on That's saying <laughs> something. But, He's a bright guy. Thank you. Let me ask you something. What is Trump supposed to do? Take his private jet to JFK and take a limousine to get a ring? And these charges are all nonsense, and they teach you very thin. Your thoughts, sir. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I think he's likely going to, you know, take his jet to maybe Teterboro or one of the private uh, airports here. And, uh, yeah, you're right. And he'd probably have a little, you know, a little motorcade uh, with his Secret Service detail to get to where he's got to go. Um, and, and you're right. The whole thing is somewhat nonsensical. But there are certain platitudes that the Democrats and critics of Trump have, have put out there. And... This is where it gets so dicey, right? When you say something like, no one is above the law, this is a universal truth, right? It really is. Nobody should be above the law. So now, you know, you start to think on on that level of, well, listen, if he broke the law, the guy's got to pay the price. The problem is th- this isn't even a, a law that he's broken, right? These are These are federal regulations where the federal regulators said there was no violation. So this is truly concocted. This is truly a local misdemeanor. First of all, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a local prosecutor, right? This is a county prosecutor, New York County, Manhattan, uh, the borough of Manhattan district attorney is bringing a federal charge in in a local courtroom. I mean, it's I don't know if they do this regularly, but I, I can't imagine the last time that a county prosecutor started enforcing a federal statute because they couldn't enforce it locally because it's already outside of the statute of limitations. I mean, this is, they're playing mental gymnastics with the law and it's, I can't believe there's not more people saying, listen, like the guy at my Cuban uh, restaurant (laughs) who, who says, look, I hate Trump as much as the next guy, but this is wrong. 
I can't believe there's more people not saying this. And the fact that he tells me all this is going to do is land him back in the White House. And he was upset. He doesn't want Trump in the White House. I think to myself, man, this is not good. This is not going to be good for Trump. So that's what I, what I think about that, Matt. And again, big shout out to everybody listening on WTKF, uh, Moorhead City, North Carolina. I'm going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. Phone number 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're continuing our conversation, and you get to sound off here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S, by the way. And let us check in with John in Kerwin, Kansas, K-R-V-N in Lexington, Nebraska. John, what's going on? What's on your mind? Welcome. Uh, I'm calling uh, about a gentleman who called, uh, I think his name was Ron from Council Tucky, Iowa. And he asked. I think Council Bluffs, Iowa. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, And he asked why McCarthy and the Republicans were stopping Democrats from passing legislation on background checks on guns. Yeah. They They had the House the Senate and the White House for four years and could have passed any legislation they wanted. The Democrats don't want the legislation to pass themselves. Uh, Nebraska, you can also go to gun shows, though, buy a gun over the counter and walk right out the door with no background check. That might need to be changed. Yeah. Now, as far as I know, there was a federal uh, loophole closure some years ago. Um, that required you to, to 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 do some sort of background check. Again, I've never bought a gun in, in Nebraska, so I'm not going to argue with you. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think in general, if if that's the state of affairs that we're in, right, if everywhere you go you got to have a background check, then, hey, go for the background check. Uh, I'm, I'm not against background checks, and nor is the NRA for that matter. I remember we had this, this uh, conversation about this a while back. And uh, the NRA is constantly lobbying to to make sure that there are background checks because they're all about safety and whatnot. And and the point that I was making was that this is so much of of a um, of a rhetorical political talking point that that the left likes to to talk about. And I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying that it, it's it's inflated in most situations where you know you, you typically can't buy a gun with without a background check. And again, I, I've never been able to do that. So um, I'd have to do the research and find out if you could do it in Nebraska. But point well taken, and we'll definitely take a look. I appreciate the call from Kerwin, Kansas, listening on KRVN in Lexington, Nebraska. Thank you, John. Now, I want to continue with um, these 34 counts, right? Because how many times, I guess, can you possibly blame somebody for the same thing, right? I guess 34 times, right? So now we have 34 counts, and here's a quote from uh, Takapina saying, and I guarantee you it's going to be 34 counts when we find out next week. 
And then he said, they'll take each check and make that account. Perhaps that's how they'll do it because the checks are paid to Cohen, he explained. The lawyer then added that Trump's expected uh, on Tuesday to show up at his arraignment, but these arrangements are not finalized as of yet. So we're going to continue to find out what's happening with this, but I find this to be so interesting that despite the weakness of the case, despite the the clear political bent to it, despite the fact that Trump is the leading candidate, it's not like he's, you know, um, one of these candidates that, you know, perennially runs for president every four years and that, you know, people have heard of, but you, they're kind of fringe, you know. Um, let me see who I could think of. Somebody who stood out in the last one, Marianne Williamson, right? She stood out. She was very popular. Uh, but I don't think there was a, a consensus of people that thought, my gosh, this woman is going to win, right? I think she ran as an independent, first as a Republican, then as an independent, or talked about running as an independent. There, there wasn't a, a consensus there, but she was, you know, not a leading candidate. And no slight on her. I think she's terrific. Uh, but Trump is the leading candidate. Not to mention, he actually was president for four years. So, you know, again, not looking to give him any special due because he was a president and not looking to suggest that anybody, including him, should be above the law. But what it ultimately comes down to is this is not about him being above the law. This is about framing a conversation and making it look like he thinks he's above the law. And you throw in the fact that he's a billionaire and he's got this bravado about himself and he t- tells it like it is, then people think, oh, this guy must be a criminal. And and that, I think, is the intent here, right? And this was uh, one of the questions they posed to me in, in the uh, conversation I had earlier today on uh, GBN, the Great Britain News Channel. And it, it was interesting to me because it, it almost seemed like they were just happy as can be. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, paint anybody in a negative light. Uh, but, you know, the, the person that was on before me was, like I said, a former Biden chief of staff. And they just seemed happy as can be to paint Trump in this light, that he's a lawbreaker, that he's a serial liar, that he's a a uh, all-around bad guy, a serial uh, indictee, if you will, somebody that's twice impeached, and just, you know, trying to tarnish his reputation so that that's what he carries around. So they can say, well, if you want to vote for a guy like that who's been impeached twice, he's been indicted, there's a January 6th committee, we still have an indictment that might be coming for for the January 6th insurrection. You might still have an an indictment coming for his involvement with the uh, documents at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, what what hasn't he done, right? What good has he actually done? And, And that's, I think, the point. They want to weigh him down with a bunch of BS to say, look, this is the case. Now, I'm not trying to make Trump out to be God. I'm just trying to say, look, let's be fair. And and, and in all honesty, I, I would probably say the same thing if this were happening to a Democrat, because I think you, this is if you've had this precedent of not investigating people during times of uh, elections, why on earth would we be indicting someone during a time of election, especially when you're talking about a misdemeanor at a local level? and turning it into a a federal uh, offense that just boggles the mind. Anyway, we're going to talk about that with uh, former federal prosecutor Doug Burns, former chief of the criminal division in New York. He joins us next, so don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation with our guest tonight, feel free to ask a question, 833, the number 4-Valdez, 833-4-Valdez is our phone number. And I want to, um, again, just direct your attention very quickly to some of the headlines tonight, because there's a lot going on. Uh, George Soros is uh, kind of staying mum on the fact that he funded the campaigns of these very woke, um, what I like to call pro-crime progressive prosecutors that don't prosecute anything except for Trump lately. Uh, You also have uh, NYPD ordering all of their patrol staff to be in uniform uh, up to uh, and following the Trump indictment uh, with an arraignment scheduled for Tuesday. Uh, Pelosi has been made fun of for her ridiculous comments that Trump will have his right to prove his innocence at his trial. (laughs) And, of course, uh, this is America where we are innocent until proven guilty and uh, not the other way around. And um, Joe Biden, or at least the White House, has claimed that they don't have any knowledge of or had no insider knowledge or previous knowledge of what happened with the indictment. And I want to say I want to believe that. And, of course, President Trump has responded to the indictment uh, with, um, I think I read you a little bit of this yesterday, uh, with his um, statement saying this is a political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. From the time I came down the golden escalator at Trump Tower and even before I was sworn in as your president of the United States, the radical left Democrats, the enemy of the hardworking men and women of this country, have been engaged in a witch hunt to destroy the Make America Great Again movement. And uh, we'll continue to keep you up to speed on what's going on with the Trump indictment. Again, Joe Tacopina, the defense attorney for President Trump, saying he expects every single check that was paid to Michael Cohen uh, to be included as a count in this, um, in what I'm going to call a sham of a prosecution, and uh, totaling something like 34 counts. And um, many speculate that there will be more indictments or other jurisdictions that were on the fence might go ahead and do the same thing because why not? You know, you get you get the star power with saying that you've decided to do it, even if it doesn't hold water. But again, that's my position as somebody that comments on politics. But I want to get to somebody who's famous for saying politics and law don't mix. You've heard him on this program a number of times. He's a former federal prosecutor and uh, former chief of the criminal division in New York. Doug Burns, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. You bet. So let me... Um, Let's start with uh, your initial reaction to um, this indictment. Well, first of all, on the politics and law don't mix, real quick, I think the listeners will find it very interesting when I tell you and them 
that when I analyze a case like this, it is completely and totally irrelevant, seriously, who the defendant is. It, it does not even enter my mind, okay? I analyze and, the and, case. And I think that's how it should be, right? Isn't that why Lady <laughs> Justice course. is blindfolded? <laughs> well, and that's why I wanted to come right out of the gate with that, because the point is, you know, everybody assumes that even a legal expert or analyst you know, if I make a point that happens to cut one way or the other, oh, he's defending him or he's condemning him. That's just not the way legal analysis works. So basically, um, this is a truly disgraceful situation. It's really a shame. I can explain why from the straight standpoint of legal X's and O's. And let me just jump in. You're going to have plenty of time. Uh, I just want want you to really walk through the audience with this. The reason you're saying it's a disgrace is not because you think Donald Trump is fantastic, best things in sliced bread, and you made a lot of money in your 401k. It's because you feel that the legal system has been prostituted somehow. Is that right? Again, please, everybody understand. It makes absolutely no difference whether who we're talking about is Mother Teresa, Charles Manson, doesn't matter, okay? I'm going to tell you and explain to everybody what this case is all about and why it's so weak. And I'll start real quick because it's interesting and it's dramatic. You know, one of our great legal experts, Professor Alan Dershowitz, he, he said, quote, I taught criminal law at Harvard Law School for 50 years, and this is the weakest case I've ever seen, close quote. He's a liberal He is not a Trump supporter. He has never voted for Trump. He will never vote for him again. Like me, Professor Dershowitz simply analyzes the case irrespective of who the person is. That's completely irrelevant to us. Um, And now, if you want, I'll walk you through the whole case. I would love that, Doug Burns, because and let me just throw out some of my questions again. And I'm a passive observer of these things and as are our listeners. But I understand this is a county prosecutor, a county prosecutor, right? New York County, local yes, Manhattan, New York borough County. Manhattan, exactly. DA. Yep. And this guy has translated a federal statute into local law and is trying yep. to prosecute the case that way because he couldn't do it by his own set of rules. Is that right? Very well put. What happened was this is interesting. I kind of got lucky in a sense. Let me explain, because what happened was I read that two prosecutors, Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn, they had been hired by the DA, Cyrus Vance Jr., the predecessor to Bragg, um, to be special yeah, just assistant. Just I'm jumping in again. These yeah, guys please. are Washington federal prosecutors like you, right? Federal DOJ exactly guys right. that yeah, were yeah, brought yeah. in, are, and I know. think they did it for nothing. They didn't even get paid. Exactly. Right. So so what happened was, you know, Cy Vance was leaving, you know, so he didn't really he was able to, you know, exit gracefully without really addressing whether or not to bring the case. Although it's a fair characterization to say he wasn't going forward with it. Alvin Bragg, this is the key. The man campaigned, literally campaigned on getting Donald Trump. Seriously. okay, that is, in my view, unethical. That should not be allowed to happen. He campaigned on get Trump. Letitia James, the attorney general of New York State, campaigned on get Trump. So now what happens is Alvin Bragg comes in as district attorney, and he essentially decides not to go forward with the case, if your listeners can believe that. Okay. And now, and again, let's, Dunn, let's, this is a political please. calculation that he makes, because obviously if there was a, an upside to bring in the case, he would have brought the case. 
Exactly. So he decides not to bring the case, which is shocking uh, in terms of where we are today on Friday, March 31st. But Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz quit the DA's office in a huff, which is okay because of that decision. But what was not okay, yeah, what was not okay and was completely disgraceful was that Mark Pomerantz, let's be fair to Mr. Dunn, he had nothing to do with it. Mark Pomerantz Mm -hmm. wrote a book. And I got very lucky because I took that book out of the library. I would never buy it. Real, you know, I have to make that yeah. point. And I read the book, and I'm very glad I did because it gave me a big leg up on understanding the case. Okay, In the book, the book is completely disingenuous, completely intellectually dishonest, uh, and it's a total disgrace. It's a total disgrace legally, of course, because no prosecutor in their right mind should ever write a book about a case that is still ongoing. But Mr. Pomerantz, hold on right there because it's getting juicy. And number one rule in my business, always leave him wanting more. So, folks, we're (laughs) on with uh, Doug Burns. He's a former federal prosecutor and former chief of the criminal division in New York for the United States Department of Justice. And uh, he's walking us through the case. He's explaining uh, what he learned from the Pomerantz book. And again, I think you guys are all up to speed on this. We've talked about this, but if you haven't uh, been up to speed, this is what has gone on thus far. There were people that were volunteering Washington uh, hit squad, in my opinion, that wanted to get Trump, get Trump, get Trump, and are willing to to do contortions with the law to get there. Don't go anywhere. Our phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Doug Burns. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America night with rich valdez All right, America, welcome back. We left you hanging. Doug Burns, our guest, former federal prosecutor and former chief of the Department of Justice Criminal Division in New York. And uh, Doug Burns, you were explaining to us how you'd read the book written by Mr. Pomerantz uh, regarding this this prosecution, which um, I'm going to label as a political uh, persecution. And I'll, I'll leave it to you to take it from there. Totally fair. In the book, he explains that Trump entered into a non-disclosure agreement having to do with a woman who, by the way, was shaking him down. She was extorting him. That's a crime. Uh, if you don't pay me money, was I'm she gonna go charged with the crime? No, of course not. Um, because of the, you know, in the whole derangement, you know, Trump environment, nobody even considered it, by the way. I would be completely open-minded to hear, you know, defenses and explanations as to why lawyers claim it is an extortion. But, you know, put that to the side because that's essentially irrelevant. So they pay her off to buy her silence. And it was actually interesting, by the way, because she had nothing to sell. She was trying to sell this uh, and it was worthless until Trump decided to run for president. Then all of a sudden it was worth something. So they arranged for a $130,000 payment to be made to her with a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA, everybody's heard it referred to. And you well, know, I they believe they call it some- hush money now. Hush money, right? And they use some fictitious names. So naturally, they get all sanctimonious about how these are false business records. Um, Assume they are. It's a misdemeanor, Rich, okay? It's a misdemeanor case. 
Pomerantz admits that, concedes that right in the book, but then he takes the uninitiated readers and his worst nightmare, not to be immodest, is having somebody like me reading the book, okay? He takes the uninitiated on this tour of how they're going to bump it up to a felony because the false business records were to cover up or conceal another crime. He has to admit flat out in the book, Rich, that there's no New York State crime um, that they could use to elevate it to a felony. Okay. Incredible. Then he turns around and this is mind boggling. And I think the listeners will really drink this in. He says that he was researching whether or not, and this was your point, Rich, and you really do understand the case. You've got it down. He was researching whether or not you could use a federal election offense to bump it up to a felony. Keep in mind that the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York and the Federal Election Commission, you've heard experts point this out, both declined to go forward with the case um, in terms of Trump. Uh, but back to the story. And just, I let, then let's learned... just stay there for one second before you go on. And the reason sure. they did that is not because they like Trump's hair, they like his suntan, that he's had the orange hue, right? It it's because the guy's married, he wasn't running at the time he made the payments. It's okay to pay people off for their silence. This is a thing people do. But let me put a finer point on the pencil real quick because it's interesting. And I didn't know this myself until one of the cable networks had the former head of the FEC on. They have what's called the dual purpose doctrine. This is interesting. And that is that even if you had two purposes, one, the election, and two, your family and preventing embarrassment, that won't make out the election crime. Okay, so they both declined it flat out. Now, I then learned everything I needed to know about Mr. Pomerantz. A totally respected figure for decades, by the way, who came down A to Z with Trump derangement syndrome because he writes in the book. I think your listeners will almost not believe this. He writes that he was researching whether or not you could bump up the misdemeanor to a felony based on a federal crime. And he came across a case in New York State, which shot that down. And he wrote literally that his heart sank. Okay, drink that in for a second. Drink that in. That's key, because not for me to get on a soapbox, but hear me out. A prosecutor who comes across law that undermines the particular case they're working on completely accepts that. Okay, and we're handling 30, 40 cases at a time. That's a side seminar, by the way, that any kind of special counsels are generally terrible because they're searching for a crime and they're focused on one person all day long, 24 hours a day. But for this man with his background, okay, editor in chief of the Michigan Law Review to write that his heart sank when he came across a case that undermined his theory. I was absolutely and completely disgusted when I read that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, be that as it may. If we continue along in our narrative, um, you know, Pomerantz, you know, concludes the book. And, and, and the other disingenuousness is, you know, we prosecutors and lawyers and defense lawyers, we love to use an argument that we call you can't work both sides of the room. So in one breath, he's waxing eloquently about how brilliant and talented all the top people in the Manhattan DA's office are, which is largely true, by the way. And you've heard this tremendous been tremendous dissension in the office. And then he turns around and says that these eight or nine people who he just described as so brilliant and wonderful, who disagreed with him, it's right in the book about bringing the case, they're all wrong, but I, Mark Pomerantz, am right. I mean, that's just right. patently absurd, okay? That's absurd. So be that as it may, 
um, you know, when you read the book as an expert, you see all the backpedaling and you see that nine people were against bringing it. Alvin Bragg himself didn't want to use Michael Cohen as a witness. That's right in the book, which could raise some serious issues and potential problems in terms of down the road in court. Uh, many of these senior DAs were dead set against using Cone, et cetera, et cetera. They had serious problems with elevating the misdemeanor based on a federal crime, because after all, there's no jurisdiction. You hit on this earlier, Rich. There's no jurisdiction in a state courtroom to prosecute a federal crime. There's also serious statute of limitations questions lurking mm -hmm. all over the place here because the thing was seven years ago and the statute on the misdemeanor is two years and the statute on the felony is five years. So I think they're going to run into big, big problems with that. So at the end of the day, I use a simple rhetorical question, and that is, if Donald Trump had hypothetically announced four months ago, I am retiring, do you think in a million years anybody would bring that case? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Folks, we're so on that's with Doug my Burns. take, and I agree with you. You know, you set it up at the beginning. You said that's your take, that's your view. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's my exact view as well, Rich. So now uh, we, we have about a minute and a half to go. I, sure. I'm, I'm curious to know, um, mm -hmm. because I, I think there's a good amount of people that are deranged and don't like Trump for whatever reason. Um, yep. It seems like it might be possible to get a jury of people that may, you know, find a guilty verdict. Uh, but it yep. seems like there's a lot of possibility for this thing to not even move forward. I think there's a strong possibility, and I'm glad you raised this and sort of ending with it. A very strong possibility that in motion practice, um, the case will not end up going to trial. And you remember Nancy Pelosi, she said famously, not the new thing about proving your innocence, which by the way is seventh grade <laughs> social studies, seventh grade social studies. Okay. That's ridiculous. But the point is she said, if he's impeached, that's it. That can never be erased. And that gave her away. And a lot of that's going on here, which is Alvin Bragg. That's it. He did it. He impeached them. I don't think he himself cares one whit if a judge throws it out, be perfectly honest with you. Right. He just wanted to throw the punch and, and have it. that on his record. Hey, it's I did easier it. for him not to lose the case, Rich. Think about it. Right. Right. I think most prosecutors, <laughs> from what I know, they don't want to bring a case. Yeah. They know they're going to lose. Doug Burns, exactly. I want to make sure that, you know, uh, we're going to call you again next week for you know any plot twists. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> that would be my because pleasure. You, I always love being job. on your show. Love being I, on your show, Rich. I appreciate it. And I, we try to give experts like you uh, more time than you would on TV or anywhere else so that you could really, you know, put put your thoughts out there and help people understand. Doug Burns, let everybody know how they could follow you and keep up with the work that you're doing. Well, it's uh, at Doug Burns Law, capital L-A-W, at Doug Burns Law. And you can find me on the Internet and stuff, too. Outstanding. Right. Doug Burns, thank you, sir. Godspeed to you. We'll be in touch again soon. Folks. Keep it locked right here. There is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversation. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And, of course, our telephone number if you want to chime in on this late-night 
Town Hall Forum, coast to coast, nationwide. It's 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, the Trans Day of Visibility is coming up, and I couldn't help but think, you know, it's today. There you go. It was coming up yesterday. It was today. That's how impactful it was in my life that I didn't even notice it was today. But today is Trans Day of Visibility, and I thought to myself, you know, there are very few people that I would ever interview about their comments on this because, you know, who could be that colorful? And then I thought, ah, I know someone. Her name's Isabella Riley, and she's moody in more ways than one. Now, Isabella Riley's been a, a very famous internet troll. She's terrific. She's fantastic. And she's with us right now. Isabella Riley, moody, welcome. Hello, Rich. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a great introduction. Oh, you bet. I'm happy to do it. So, first of all, the last time I saw you, you weren't Moody. So I'm guessing you have a new name. That means that there's been a, a change in status. Uh, are you are you uh, married now? Is that your, your situation? Yeah, I got married, and I just so happen to have a new last name that fits me so well, and it's Moody. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all part it's of God's plan, I guess. <laughs> Amen to that. All right, so let's, uh, let's start off with... Um, this uh, well, actually, I have a, a clip of audio. The guys in the studio are going to uh, cue it up. Um, I, I played it yesterday, and it's of a trans person uh, complaining about how difficult it is to be trans, and how everywhere he goes or she goes, and I'm probably misgendering them. Somebody call security, but uh, everywhere they went, they were misgendered. And I want you to hear it, and then I'd like your reaction to it. Listen to this: Being trans is so hard and so exhausting. Like I. Have been misgendered all day. Every single interaction, conversation, everything just misgendered from the beginning day to now. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of correcting people who won't listen. I'm and I'm sick of people not seeing me. I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it. And then I'm like, oh well, if I went on tea, this would never happen. But I want to go on tea. I just want people to believe that trans people exist. And to look at me and think for a split second, like, oh, maybe they don't want to be called a lady. Okay. I also don't want to be called a lady. And, uh, but I understand their plight. I really do. Uh, when somebody's complaining that they don't want to go on testosterone, I hear this whole thing. And I think this is a hurting person, a person that's got, you know, some deep emotional wounds, some trauma, uh, some mental health issues. Somebody needs a hug. Somebody needs some Jesus in their life. And I think I, I don't want to be angry at this person and I don't want to offend them. I want to help them. I just don't know how to. Isabella Riley, what do you make of the trans day of visibility? Well, in terms of the trans day of visibility, I think we should have more visibility for the three nine-year-old kids who lost their lives along with the three staff members at this Christian school that happened at that tragedy on Monday. But, I mean, it sounded like a, a biological she from what I could hear. And I don't know. I pretty much just feel like we aren't hard enough on the transgender people. In my opinion, I may be harsh. You know, I do have sympathy for these people because I do think that they're being exploited sure. by the left and as well as the doctors who are making a lot of money on this gender reassignment surgery and these hormone replacement therapies. I actually covered a story not too long ago on my show about doctors who were pressuring these this little boy's parents into changing his gender, you know, allegedly trying to change his gender, saying, wouldn't you rather have an, a daughter who's alive than a dead son? And the doctors, just like the abortion business, make so much money and there's a financial incentive. But I just don't understand what they're talking about. All I see is trans this, trans that. It's so beautiful. It's so trendy. 
So just, I don't know why they want us all to conform. Me, I don't care what someone calls me. Like, it doesn't change who I am. So I don't know why they care so much, but it's because they're severely mentally ill and they're getting this so-called treatment that doesn't actually treat their mental illness. And they think that this is going to solve everything. And when it doesn't, they lash out and they're still depressed. And it's actually sad and we should have sympathy for these people. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, something you brought up um, made me uh, remember a tweet that I saw earlier from Caitlyn Jenner. And listen to this. We live in a beautiful country called America where we're free to be whomever we want. The radical rainbow mafia has hijacked LGBT people and is the worst thing that has ever happened to LGBT people. They are domestic terrorists. How do you react to that? Wow, I did not I did not see that tweet from a good old Bruce. <laughs> I used to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I miss Bruce. <laughs> I miss Bruce. But <laughs> um, I, I tend to agree with him. Well, I'm going to say him because I'm just going to go based on the biology. I, mean, I tend to agree with Bruce or Caitlin him. And, yeah, I mean, the Rainbow Mafia is just the, – the way they – the, the problem is the leftism, like the leftist mentality of the Rainbow Mafia, because obviously there's a lot of gay Republicans, a lot, some trans Republicans out there that exist and completely disassociate with them and really fight the hardest against them. So it's really the leftist mentality that just has hijacked the entire movement. And unfortunately, it turns people like me away from all of it because I'm like, I want nothing to do with all of this. And I, Maybe I'm bad for lumping a lot of people in together, but yeah, that's pretty much my reaction. I agree with him, um, but I still don't think the whole transgender concept is something that we as conservatives like should accept, though, because I'm sorry, but thinking that you were born in the wrong body, thinking that you that God didn't put you in the right body and really really just helping facilitate this mental illness and not giving them the proper treatment, I will always disagree with that, and I don't agree with even even um, acknowledging their pronouns, because I'm not going to deny objective reality to fit what they want to hear. I refuse to. I'm too principally based on that, which I'm sure is going to offend a lot of people. But as you know, and if anyone reads my Twitter, I'm not really too concerned about offending people. Right. And, and that's actually part of the brand, uh, you know, uh, which is, uh, yeah. I think, interesting, right? So you're here to offend the feminists. You're here to offend anybody you can, uh, which, uh, Correct. which is somewhat refreshing, right? Uh, that's what a good troll does. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about that, right? Um, because I, I find that to be an interesting uh, take with, um, with respect to uh, the anti-feminist movement in particular. I think I would think that's where you probably get the most heat. Uh, is from from women who, you know, yeah, I've seen your videos, even guys, <laughs> you know, when you put them on the oh, spot. Yeah. And I think they're they're hilarious. And let everybody know Thank real you. quick where they could follow you if if they want to uh, check out some of your videos. So so my main Instagram account was banned and um, it was banned like That's every so other shockingly week, I, surprising. I know. I know. The funny the irony in it is it was banned. So I used to get banned every other week. I would appeal it and would come back. But I did. I don't know if you've heard of Jubilee Middle Ground, but I was arguing as an anti-feminist and it got millions of views. And the day it released, my Instagram was taken away and I've never gotten it back. So the feminists who claim to want to let women's voices be heard and put women up on a pedestal, they mass reported my account and got it taken down. So shout out to the feminists. Um, but yeah, I, so I have a second Instagram. It's at Isabella Riley Moody 2.0. Um, but I'm the most active on Twitter, which is at Isabella Riley US. But yeah, so I started out doing online politics on TikTok. 
And I always say that the feminist on TikTok turned me into the anti-feminist monster I am today because I just saw how pissed off they got. So I kept going and the comments were just insane. I mean, they are ruthless on TikTok. And that's really what created a lot of my brand because I was like, I'm hitting a spot that they don't want to hear now, especially being a married woman, really living out like the trad wife ideal ideal that I used to always espouse. I've never been happier before in my life. So now I can really be like, okay, well, I'm walking the walk now. Like, I'm not just saying what you should be doing. I'm doing it. And I'm actually the happiest I've ever been. And so, yeah, I just keep telling women about that. And the feminists can't stand it. You're like, they're like, you are not allowed to be happy if you are married to a man and want to build a family. Instead, you're only allowed to be happy if you're selling nudes, nudes on OnlyFans to men or working for another man as your boss. But you can't serve your husband. Oh, gosh, that's the worst thing to ever happen. All right, I want to talk about that a little more. I want to talk about your show uh, as well. So don't go anywhere, folks. We're on with Isabella Riley Moody. And that's not just an adjective. That's her second last name. And Isabella Riley Moody is going to stick with us. We're coming right back. Our phone number, if you have a question for her, 833-4-VALDEZ. And that's Valdez with an S. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez, our guest, Isabella Riley Moody. Uh, she's um, she's all over the place. You got to check out her Twitter. You got to watch her her show. She's got a show on LFB TV. I hope I got that right. And uh, tell us a little bit about the show. So my show is a daily show on the weekdays, Monday through Friday. It's from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And basically, I just talk about whatever is going on in the day and give my kind of sassy flair to it. It's on Rumble. The network is LFA TV, and it's owned by this really great guy, Jeremy Harrell, who's like banned off everything all at once. And it's really 100% free speech. And as someone like myself who has been kicked out of Turning Point and just like, you know, blacklisted from the blaze and stuff like that, having free speech is very essential to me. So even conservatives, many conservatives aren't actually pro-free speech. So it's very, I'm so blessed to be a part of the network. And I just love to be able to say whatever I want to say, have a platform to do it. And we love Rumble because Rumble doesn't censor like YouTube and everything, everyone else. So it's it's been really fun. I started it January of this year and it's been going amazingly. Congratulations. Now, I want to get your, your take on uh, or the backstory um, every now and again, I, you know, I always see your, your, your stuff on social media and I saw not too long ago that you were getting into it with Iggy Azalea and it was getting ugly. Again, if anybody doesn't know, she's an Australian rapper. And, um, and, uh, I was like, man, this is pretty cool actually <laughs> to, to see that type <laughs> of, uh, back and forth. And tell us where did all this smoke come from? So I know it's so funny. So far this year, I've now had Twitter fights with two celebrities, Iggy Azalea and Pierce Morgan, which I just had a gun fight with Pierce Morgan the other day, as you know, Pierce (laughs) Morgan and his views on guns. But regarding Iggy Azalea, so basically I'm scrolling on TikTok and I just that's where I find a lot of the content I react to. You can really see it's like the eyes into the deep trenches of the culture war on TikTok. So I found this video of Iggy Azalea, who is a celebrity. Many people probably could recognize her like famous song, Fancy, from like years ago. 
And she was pretty much bragging about how empowering it was for her to do OnlyFans because now she can she can now make money off of her body where she wasn't able to before. And my and I posted it on Twitter and my entire issue with it is you know what, if you want to do OnlyFans, I'm going to look down on you. OnlyFans, if anyone doesn't know, you can like sell nudes as a subscription service online. And my issue with it is, A, it's, you know, degenerate. I don't like that. But I also don't like particularly how it's promoting it to young women who young girls are seeing this. And there's so many celebrities and big TikTok influencers that are promoting how saying that they make hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on OnlyFans telling young girls, why would you get a job? Why would you go to school? Why would you get a husband just to OnlyFans? And I just think it's so sick that they're promoting this terrible lifestyle to these young girls. And women are by nature more followers. And especially when they're young and naive, they look up to these older women as idols, idolize them and want to be just like them. And then not realizing the consequences of doing something like that. It's shameful to your family. It's going to be harder to find a husband. It's just not something that's, and you're going to get old one day. Like you can't do this forever. You're, one day, no one's going to want to buy your news and you're not going to have a skills and education or a husband. And I don't want women to be falling into this trap. So Iggy got really offended at me posting just the video of her explaining herself. And we went back and forth like over 20 times. She tweeted at my husband to send her a picture of his <laughs> genitals. Okay. She went graphic. And she bragged about twerking on teenage girls. And if that was a male rapper saying that, he would be locked up as a pedophile. But somehow, you know, the Hollywood elitist, something with them in pedophilia. It's a weird, comp it's a weird connection that I keep making. It, 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 I watched a lot of this exchange and I thought, man, it's so interesting how certain people get triggered. And you do have a gift for triggering people, which is, you know, hey, it's it's a blessing. And uh, tell us about your... your, uh, your um, figurative shootout with Pierce Morgan. So with Pierce Morgan, he basically, he tweeted out right after the Nashville shooting. And with, with whenever there's a mass shooting, you can always expect exactly what people on the right and the left are going to say. It's very predictable. And it was sure. predictable what Pierce Morgan would say, but he tweeted out the congressman for the district in Nashville. This is, this is the congressman. Look at this Christmas family photo of them all holding guns insinuating that this congressman had anything to do with the Nashville shooting. Basically, he's saying guns are bad, guns are b bad. And I responded to it saying guns don't kill people, evil people kill people. And then he quote tweeted me and was like, with guns. And that's just how it started. And I was saying, well, I mean, people can kill people with guns. I mean, with cars, should we ban cars? And we just kept going back and forth. And it's just funny because he's someone that bought a house in L.A. in America. And it's like, if you really thought that having gun rights was so dangerous. Would he buy a house and move his family there? No. And the funny thing is, is he bought a house in L.A., which has very strict gun laws. And guess what? The gun crimes there, I, I looked it up, are skyrocketing. It doesn't help. Sure. These gun restriction laws do not prevent these crimes. Now, in the case of the Nashville shooting, the transgender did end up legally buying the firearms. But still, that's more of a mental health issue than anything. And I'm still not in favor of restricting the gun rights that our Second Amendment of the Constitution guarantees us as U.S. citizens. I'm with you on that one. But, uh, you know, critics on the left will continually let you know that that's the, the problem. The Constitution's the problem. Everything, uh, everything good and holy is the problem. Isabella O'Reilly is our guest. Isabella O'Reilly Moody. Uh, you want to check her out on social media. 
And uh, she's coming back with us. We're going to wrap up with her in a moment. If you want to give us a call, 833-4-VALDES, 833, the number four, and my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. respect firstly to the judges who heard us today because they were very attentive and they listened to us and, and they let us free so I have to give absolute respect to them I have no resentment in my heart for the country of Romania or for anybody else I just believe in the truth I believe in God and I think that the fire of truth will eventually destroy all lies and anybody who lies on a long enough time frame will feel the sting of regret and I believe in this I, I truly believe that justice will be served in the end there is zero percent chance of me being found guilty of something I have not done I maintain my absolute innocence, and I think most people understand this, and uh, I look forward to uh, being home. That's Andrew Tate, the uh, social media influencer, former kickboxing champion uh, who's been jailed along with his brother on charges of uh, human smuggling, human trafficking, and all sorts of other uh, illicit stuff that uh, he maintains his innocence on. And we'll get to that a little bit more in the Open Foe in America portion of the program, hour number three of this show. But right now, our host, or excuse me, our guest is Isabella Riley Moody. She's the host of Moody with Isabella on LFA TV, which can be found on Rumble.com. You can get her on Twitter at Isabella Riley US. And Isabella Riley, what's your uh, quick take on Andrew Tate? Well, I've always loved Andrew Tate videos I've seen online as someone that's very abrasive and offensive. I always was captivated by his videos, and I thought it was an absolute disgrace that he was held without charges. Him and his brother, Tristan Tate, were held without charges for, what was it, at least three months. So I'm happy that they are now free. I think they are on house arrest, but without charges, why were they being held? And it definitely seems like it was a setup to me. Yeah, I know there was a politician that was involved where their the politician's daughter was involved with their enterprise. Uh, they had like a, uh, I don't know what it was called. What's that called? Not OnlyFans, but like some sort of chat It's like service a cam or, girl. Yeah, video, like exactly. That, yeah. Webcam girl. And, uh, and they said this politician, yeah, man, I got to say, look, I'm a dad of daughters. And uh, if one of my kids went astray like that, you better believe whatever political power I have, I'm coming after everybody <laughs> and, and my kid. <laughs> but that's just me. Right. Anyway, Isabella, let everybody know. I gave them where to find you, but uh, just let them know again, reiterate where they could find you and what they can expect. All right. You guys can find me on Twitter at Isabella Riley US and Monday through Fridays, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Rumble. And you can search up LFA TV and you'll find me there. Trust me, if you're looking for an anti-feminist activist that's going to get under a lot of people's skin, maybe even your own, and you want some uh, very provocative content and very provocative conversations, uh, definitely check out Isabella Riley Moody. And and just on a quick aside, uh, Aside from the uh, abrasive commentary and the humor and the trolling, she's actually a very, very intelligent girl with a great head on her shoulders. So, Isabella, Godspeed to you with your marriage, with your business, with your new program. Good luck, and I hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, folks, straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, where you get to be heard, 844 844- no, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's the phone number. Give us a call. Open Phone America starts right now.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to chime in that way, let us know your thoughts, be heard. Uh, you can also call into the program. This is America's late-night national town hall. I'm going to venture to say not only the largest, but might be the only live program in the time slot we're in, 10 o'clock Eastern to 1 a.m. in the morning, uh, that is live and national on as many affiliates as we are. So you're welcome to join this national conversation. We definitely value your opinion, whether you agree with me or not. Is it relevant? Uh, I want to hear from you. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, you know, that is a tradition that was started by Larry King, once host of this program, and continued by the late, great Jim Bohannon for three decades on this program, Open Phone America. And... I look forward to maintaining that tradition as well. And that's probably the only part of, you know, of both King and Bohannon that uh, I would able to um, to continue is is that tradition. Because I think we're also different in our delivery and, and our way of being. And that's constantly pointed out to me, by the way. <laughs> so thank you for that as well. Anyway, I want to direct your attention to a story. And uh, the story that I'm looking at this is an interesting one. Dumb phones are on the rise in the United States as Gen Z looks to limit screen time. Now, a dumb phone obviously is not a smartphone. It's the opposite of a smartphone. It's one of those flip phones or non-digital you know, digital phones that are dumb, if you will, that are not smartphones. And I think that's kind of cool uh, that you know the older technology is still around. And you know, every now and again, I find myself in a conversation with somebody somewhere saying, you know, I went to the dealer to get a new car and I told him, look, I don't want power windows. I just want the roll up windows. And they didn't even have a car that had roll up windows. Then I had another conversation with somebody who was saying, you know, uh, I went to get a car and the only one they had didn't have power windows. I have a car now, a brand new car with roll up windows. I said, man, you should have talked to the guy I was talking to the other day because this guy was complaining that he couldn't get roll up windows. So uh, everybody has a different take on these things. I know a guy that just got a smartphone for the first time. He's like in his 60s, former colleague of mine. And he uh, just got a smartphone, I don't know, probably about a year ago, max, maybe nine or 10 months ago. And prior to that, he had uh, like a track phone, flip phone, and uh, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, loved the idea that, you know, he could, he had the option of going on the internet, but it took longer and he just didn't use it much. And uh, he could text and he could send photos. And, you know, he squinted a lot and had to put his glasses on to do it. And, you know, it was harder to, to do the texting on there. But he enjoyed that technology. Now he's got an iPhone. The guy's unstoppable. But my point is there are people that have an appreciation for this older technology uh, because it's either familiar or it's just simpler. And um, what they're calling dumb phones are really just regular phones, if you will. But companies like HMD Global, the maker of Nokia, uh, they're continuing to sell millions of mobile phones similar to the ones that were used in the early 2000s. This includes what's known as feature phones, traditional flip or slide phones that have additional features like GPS or a hotspot. 
I think, uh, here's a quote. It says, I think you could see it with certain Gen Z populations. They're tired of the screens, said Joe Brionis, a dumb phone influencer and moderator of the subreddit R Dumb Phones. And they, he continues, he says, they don't know what's going on with mental health. They just know they're trying to make cutbacks. <laughs> so in the U.S., uh, feature flip phone sales were up in 2022 with tens of thousands sold each month. At the same time, HMD Global's feature phone sales were down, according to the company. In 2022, almost 80% of feature phone sales in uh, in that same year came from the Middle East, Africa, and India, according to CounterPoint Research. Now, I'm wondering, does that have to do with all the terrorists using um you know, flip phones or organized crime because a lot of people use these as burner phones. So I'm curious to know if that's a part of that uh, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of unrest in different parts of the world. Anyway, uh, it says, but some see that the number is shifting and it's partly because of young people in the U.S. reverting back to minimalist phones or what they're calling dumb phones. So I'm wondering if uh, any of you care about this uh, because – this I thought was a fascinating topic. And the reason I thought I was, uh, it is so interesting to me, I'm literally enthralled with this here, is because I constantly think about this. I always think, you know, I love all of the ease that I get out of my smartphone, but I don't know that I always like having all of that like in my pocket. And when somebody will like email me and if I don't get back to them fast enough, they'll text me or call me and yell at me and be like, I've been texting, I've been calling you, you know? And it's not that I'm ignoring anybody. It's that I just do other stuff, like talk to real humans, you know, when I go to my little coffee shop over here and have my Cuban coffee. So I, I just, uh, I find it interesting. You know, it's like you, you almost, you're almost like on the hook all the time because you have so much facility from your phone. And I really don't. Like there's people who download Outlook and whatnot so they can do all their email from their phone. I haven't done that. Uh, I can do some Gmail from my phone, but that's about it. I, I've never done professional email from my personal phone. I never even downloaded the app because I just didn't want to do work on my phone. And uh, I feel like once you do, then it's like, then there's no break for anything. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong about this. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because there's a few other things I want to talk about tonight. Obviously, we're going to do a little recap on what we talked about earlier with uh, our guests. We had C.J. Pearson on. We talked about the um, the the crazy plan for reparations in, in uh, California. Uh, we also talked with Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor, and uh, he walked us through a, a great narrative on this Trump indictment. If you missed any portion of that, make sure you check out the podcast uh, America at Night with Rich Valdez. Plus, This is America with Rich Valdez. Make sure you're subscribed to that. There is a new episode coming out. It was supposed to be uh, in the works today. It's going to be a little bit delayed, but we're definitely going to get that out to you. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to both of those. And if you want to just listen to the show, stream the show, you could check it out live as well. Go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. And uh, we also talked with Isabella Riley. She's anti-feminist activist and um, lots of discussion there. I'm also going to get into this Andrew Tate stuff and we're going to talk about that. He was in jail. He's out of jail. And a couple of other things that I want to touch on, like the rapper Takashi69, we talked about him. He'd gotten beaten up in uh, in the steam room at his gym and uh, apparently they caught the guys. So we're going to talk about that as well. And plus all of the political topics that you want to talk about. Uh, they say Social Security, the trust fund, uh, the depletion date has moved forward to 2033. So that's uh, 
10 years from now, there may be no Social Security. What's going to happen? Well, we'll take a look at that. And a couple of other things, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're talking about dumb phones, the antithesis of smartphones, uh, plus a lot of other stuff that's on the table. Let us go to, let's see here. You got a lot of calls here uh, all across America. One of them says they're in Brazil. Look at that. Uh, We're going to get to you in a moment, but let's uh, start with uh, the one who's been holding the longest. Let's go to Jeff in Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Jeff, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Good evening or good morning, Rich Valdez, and that's uh, Valdez with an S, uh, if uh, if I recall. Yeah, that is correct, sir. Thank you for paying attention. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, you, what's on your mind, brother? You talk, well, you were talking about the smartphones, dumb phones, you know, and the changing of technology. Uh, one thing that I hope they don't go so far back as uh, to having pagers. Uh, that was. <laughs> That was that was that was a that was a big thing, you know. If you had a page, it was huge, uh, and it was a pain in the butt days. too. Well, not only that, but I I had a job that required me to have a pager, but it was a big deal. You you would uh, tuck your shirt in so that your pager would show on your belt, so when you went into club, you know, all the girls would think, you know, you're some kind of big shot, yeah. you know. And you're it, a doctor it, or a drug dealer, right? If you had a pager back yeah. in the days. Okay, I'm not going to go that far, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to uh, 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 put myself in any kind of. You're going to plead knowledge. the fifth. I've, I've I've gone past, you know, the, the, the starship. But you know what I would like to go back to, and this really drives me nuts, is uh, all of the cars that we buy today. Um, uh, somebody uh, like me who could who could uh, actually work on a car, uh, uh, you know, change things. We, we can't do that anymore. Technology's gone too far. I would love, I would absolutely love to go into a car dealership and buy a a, a, a car or a truck and have a stick shift on it. I huh. miss stick shift cars. Well, listen to this, Jeff. I think you're going to enjoy this. So there was a carjacker that was in Chicago, and the guy goes and steals the car, right? And uh, listen to this. This is really good, right? So prosecutors say this would-be carjacker failed to get away with the victim's car because he didn't know how to drive a stick shift. The Chicago cops were able to track him down because he ran from the scene on foot with the victim's keys, which had an air tag, which is a... Apple device where you could find your keys if you lost them with your cell phone so they could track them. Anyway, the guy's name is Andrew Moran, 25 years old, and he was charged with vehicular hijacking and aggravated battery of peace officers during a court hearing uh, over the weekend. 
And this guy had to pay $15,000 in bail and yada, yada, yada. But uh, the long story uh, short here is that he had to get the car. This is what he told me. He said he needed to take the car because someone would kill him if he didn't. Prosecutors said that um, the woman who he hijacked, uh, believing that Moran had a gun in his pocket because he was holding his hand inside his jacket, pointing at her, and uh, she called the police once she got out of the car and gave him the car. So this idiot pretended to have a gun, carjacked somebody, then gets caught because he steals her keys, all because he didn't know how to drive stick shift. Jeff, what do you make of that? Well, yeah, that's where I was going to go next. It's just like if you get a really nice vehicle with a stick shift, very few people are going to know how to uh, uh, steal that vehicle. And it's just like one one more of those things where you just look at young people and go, you really don't have a clue as to what we went through when we were kids. We had to actually turn the TV channel by hand. You Unbelievable. Know? And, uh, yep. Yeah. So uh, thanks. It, it really is. Oh, you bet. You're welcome, Jeff. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, let's continue. We're going to go straight across the country to Grass Valley, California, KNCO, and check in with Richard. Hey, Richard, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Well, Rich, it's a pleasure to listen to you, and I've listened to, Thank you. again, Bohannon for a long time, and I used to talk to Rush Limbaugh when he was in Sacramento. He'd call me and ask me for advice. I put on the first FM station in Honolulu in the 60s, and wow. uh, KGMB FM, and uh, we had AM FM at that time, and we could simulcast some of the time. Anyway, the, the cool. subject matter that I want to talk about is young people today using telephones. I'm 88 years old, and young people I talk to every day, some of them work for me, and they can't carry on a conversation. Every other word is like this, like that. And I say, wait a minute, let's talk. Let's just get some speech out there. And they can't because they're dead to the screen of the little thing they push buttons on, and they walk into telephone poles, and they walk into the things. And, of course, my wife passed away last year, and I'm not on the oh, Internet. She was. She has all the equipment here. But I use the just normal Alexander Bell-designed telephone with push buttons, and uh, it's the best communication device that the world ever made. My, my bill from Comcast is much more than my telephone bill. Now we'll get back to the thing about shifting gears, which I think is interesting. I bought my father a Packard automobile early on, not in the 60s, I think, or late 50s. And he kept uh, ghosting, shifting gears from his old Packard, which had a column shift. And I would kid him about it. And I'd say, Dad, you just shifted gears. No, no, I didn't do that. And people that don't know how to drive things, they didn't study the technology, and they just don't have it. So I... Uh, I had the highest-paid disc jockey in America in Honolulu, Jay Aku had Pupuli, and uh, Aku was at the time in 1960s. Everybody came into town, Glenn Campbell, Johnny Mathis, everybody had to see him, and wow. he played golf with him in the afternoon. He was a scratch golfer and gambled. So I've got a background in broadcasting that won't quit, but I've been out of it for, let's see, about 40 years now. So I just listen, and I, uh, I like what I hear on your show I think uh, you're the best fresh air that's come in this, in this ability for us to listen to frequency modulation and amplitude modulation radio, which is still the, the baby that started the Internet, started television, started everything, and they had to give good credit to it. Now, I'll leave that and get back to listening to you, but I really enjoy your show. Well, I thank you. It's, it's an incredible honor. It really is uh, coming from somebody with the, uh, the, the, 
breadth of experience that you have. Uh, but I, I want to say, so you don't have a rotary phone? You have a push-button phone? Yeah, push-button. Well, I, we have them all here. I've got Hewlett-Packard equipment. <laughs> I don't use any of it. My wife passed away last April, and I just use uh, this phone. And my, it's amazing. I call Germany. I call all over the world. And my phone bill ends up being $150 a month. And my satellite use of Internet and the rest of it's about $200 a month, and I never use it. It's just here. The telephone is the best invention that was ever made outside the airplane, which moved us around. But you have to look at this and say, hey, you know what? It's, uh, we're teaching our young people nothing. To, in, short of being able to communicate, they can't talk. You know, and it's an interesting point that you made, just to uh, underscore something you said. You said that they're walking into light poles and whatever, and because they're writing everything down on text. And, and that's true, right? There's a lack of communication. The younger they are, the more connected to the screens they are. However, what I've noticed is they don't even use words anymore. A lot of it's abbreviations and emoticons or what they call emojis now, where it's just, you know, a happy face, a sad face, a laughing face. And again, I'm guilty of using them, too, but I combine them with words. And it just it, it, it's amazing to me how we've come to this this place where I've heard young people talk. And they'll look at each other and giggle and then just say something like, LOL, <laughs> OMG. <laughs> and they speak in, in these in these acronyms and abbreviations. And I think, while it may be cute for somebody that's young, it's like, it better be a phase. Because if it's not, you know, this, this art that we have called human communication is going to begin to fall by the wayside. And um, there go beautiful calls like the one I just had with you and great conversations that we could have all all over the place in life if if we lose that art of communication. At least that's my thought, Richard. I agree with you 100%. If they don't learn quick or soon, they will end up losing the ability to be able to carry this forward. But you can't teach young people, particularly those of the latest groupings by age, to teach their kids to talk. So their kids are going to be even worse. If we deal with a situation that all we're dealing is pushing buttons, why well, just artificial intelligence is going to take over and people won't be able to communicate. And that's part of the reason I was successful in business and very successful. We had stations all over America, and uh, at one time we were the third largest independent group of radio stations in America wow. and television. And, but the point is that we communicated. Everybody that we had from people on the air to selling to everything we had was a verbal communication. You knew what you had. These expletives they put out, and sometimes they use them, are just disgusting. You're right. You're 100% right. And I thank you for the call, Richard. Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Call back again soon. I really enjoyed the conversation. More to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Welcome back. Uh, we're discussing lots of things here. The Trump indictment, uh, old cell phones, all of the political topics as well. And uh, I want to continue our conversation. Let's go to Wichita, Kansas, KQAM, and check in with Kelly. Hey, Kelly, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Go right ahead. Or hold on. 
<laughs> All right, let's put Kelly on hold and figure out what's going on. Maybe they uh, ran to the bathroom and are coming back. Let us go to, let's see, Mike, who's in Sierra, Brazil, listening on WNIR online. Mike, go right ahead. I see. So when this happens, it's the deep state, right? This is what I like to call the deep state. Uh, We'll give this one more shot with Kim in Michigan on KDKA. If Kim's there, then we're good. If not, it's the deep state at it again. Nothing. All right. So I'm, i got to blame somebody, but I'm not blaming me. Anyway, let us continue with uh, the story that I was going to get to anyway. I was going to get to a moment. If, you're, if you can hear me and you're on hold, hang on. They're going to try and get you on the line for whatever reason I can't hear you when we're bringing you into the program. Now, there is this article that I was just looking at. Bear with me. I had to switch off of it for a second with... Um, What was it about? Oh, here it is. About a month ago, we talked about a hospital in Idaho that said, hey, look, we can't deliver any more babies. Remember that? And I went on this tangent about how AOC and so many on the hard left, they don't want to have babies. Well, there's another hospital that's now signed on to this. Now, they're saying it's staffing. And again, that may be a legitimate thing. I'm not saying that it's not legitimate. Uh, But I feel like, you know, sometimes when you're in this business for enough time, you start to realize that you can't always believe everything you read. And sometimes you have to kind of read in between the lines to kind of read the tea leaves. So listen to this. Another Idaho hospital is going to stop delivering babies and they're citing labor and delivery staffing as the reason why. This is coming out of Emmett, Ohio. And uh, Valor Health is the only hospital in Emmett. And they've announced on Wednesday that starting in a couple of months, it's no longer going to provide labor and delivery services in the city of nearly 8,000 people. This uh, news obviously was not welcomed by a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like this. The hospital's board of trustees voted to support the move at a meeting on March 28th following recommendations from Valor Health CEO Bra- uh, Brad Turpin. Excuse me. The hospital plans to provide care for existing patients through June, uh, through June 1st, actually. And here's a quote, Valor Health is already facing an imminent labor and delivery service deficit. The news release continued saying that they've, it's been increasingly difficult to sustain and very expensive to recruit and retain a full team of high quality broad spectrum nurses to work in a rural setting where nurses need to be proficient in many different fields, meaning they can't just be labor and delivery nurses or ER nurses. And I get it. You have a shortage on people. You need them to be experts in everything. Fascinating. So there we have it. Another hospital that's not delivering babies. You couple that with the news we had, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine days ago, where we talked about the United States having a, um, uh, the birth rate going down and, uh, makes a lot of sense. Birth rates going down, you're closing down labor and delivery rooms where does it end, right? Do we become, um, people talk about depopulation a lot and they talk about it in terms of like a kill-off, but I think it's more attrition. And if you can just prevent people from being born, it's that much easier to control the population. And it's in effect what they did very aggressively in China. But uh, this is, uh, I've got to come up with a name for this. You know, uh, Levin coined the term American Marxism. So we could say this is the American Marxist way. But I think there's, there's got to be another term where 
we do things that they did in China, but we do it in an Americanized way. And that might be the right term, uh, American Marxism. Uh, but I feel like there's a, you know, like the American way, <laughs> the American way of doing things the way China did, where it seems more democratic, it seems more on the level, but you get the same result, right? You just, instead of forcing it on people, you get people to beg for it, uh, which I think is pretty bizarre that we would even do such a thing. Anyway, um, I want to I wanna go to your calls, but I'm not sure if those are going to work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick pause right here, and then we're going to come back, and if the phones are working, we'll get to your calls. If not, we're going to continue with the, uh, the rest of this story and the other story that I've got for you. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. As we battle the deep state on our phone lines over here, I wanted to um, circle back to something I mentioned earlier. I opened up the program talking about a uh, interview I did earlier today on British television. Uh, the Discovery Network runs a, a network called GBN, Great Britain News. Uh, it's a TV channel in um, out of London. And uh, occasionally uh, on American topics, uh, American politics, I, I come on as one of their commentators. And... And today uh, there was a really interesting exchange, and I, we don't have all of the audio with respect to the person who preceded me, who is a former chief of staff to Joe Biden. I believe her name is Susan Platt, uh, but she did make some comments that I thought were interesting, and I bring them up. And I've got a clip; it's a it's, it's a little bit a uh, uh, couple minutes, but I think it's it's interesting um, to see how we're viewed across the pond, as they say, uh, with uh, Mark Longhurst on GBN News. Listen to this. Let's speak now to Richard Valdez, uh, a U.S. radio host and political commentator. Uh, and perhaps um, we reflect, Richard, on the, you know, the other political uh, side of, of the fence uh, in terms of Democrats and Republicans. Um, is it the case that many Republicans uh, will be w waiting to see what's said in this New York uh, arraignment? No, I don't think many Republicans are waiting to see what's be said. I think we've seen the weaponization and and um, political weaponization, rather, of the legal system against Trump since he was a candidate. Right. So right now we've got the Democrats now using the legal system to play politics to interfere in the 2024 presidential election by indicting their number one competitor. So uh, this is nothing new to people who've been paying attention. It's nothing new to Donald Trump. We saw it with the uh, Robert Mueller uh, Russia investigation. We've seen it with the spying both in Trump Tower and when he was president. And we're seeing it again now. We've seen it with two impeachments that didn't result in convictions. So, uh, again, nothing new when it comes to attacking Trump on baseless claim. 
However, when one looks at the details um, and this uh, $130,000 uh, paid to Stormy Daniels, the issue, of course, being whether that was then put down as a business expense um, and, and campaign finance uh, regulations and so on, he does have to answer the charges, doesn't he? We'll see how that goes in court. Uh, number one, it wasn't a business expense. It was written as a legal expense because he reimbursed his lawyer who um, was unsolicited but made this payment on his behalf. And they're saying that uh, although he was paying his lawyer, that it wasn't a legal expense, that it was a political expense because he was intending to run for president. This is going to be a very big bridge to cross to prove that he did this with malice in any way. So it's, it's a very flimsy case that may not result in anything of a conviction. So I think he, we have to give him his day in court, number one. Number two, uh, this charge is actually outside of the statute of limitations. And it's also a charge that the United States Department of Justice um, chose not to pursue because they felt there was no violation, as well as uh, the Federal Election Commission also chose uh, to not pursue. It's nothing new. We've been hearing about this for seven going on eight years. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a there there. Uh, what about Susan Platt's point about these uh, other um, legal charges that may now come forward and uh, the sort of overall image then that's given of, of uh, a former president who's, who's a rule and maybe a lawbreaker? Um, you know, will the mud stick in this 2024 presidential campaign? Promote for Donald Trump saying, you know what? He's uh, he's a lawbreaker. He's this. He's that. He makes phone calls with Zelensky. He's withholding aid. I, they've tried to paint Trump as the bad guy from from very early on. And uh, something Miss Platt mentioned I thought was interesting was she said Joe Biden's doing a good job. And all I could think of is a good job at what increasing inflation, uh, increasing tension around the world with Russia, China, and Iran. I, I don't, if that's the good job that um, Democrats are looking for, then I guess they can expect more of that from Joe Biden. And, and fears for violence on the streets. Clearly, we've seen the barriers going up outside the court building there in, in Manhattan and uh, supporters outside Mar-a-Lago. I mean, could that change the, the, the political landscape if, if we have more violence? I don't expect any violence. I think violence typically comes, as we saw on January 6th, when you have uh, undercover FBI agents stoking the flames or if you have people that are affiliated with Antifa, the anti-fascist group that are notoriously against Republicans and conservatives. So I've never seen uh, conservative Republicans become violent. I don't expect them to become violent now. If you look at the images you're showing on your screen, uh, if you've ever seen a Trump rally, violence isn't synonymous with Donald Trump. That seems to be more political theater coming from the left, coming from the left within the media in the United States. Although maybe some on Capitol Hill may disagree with that particular point. But anyway, Richard, thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us with your assessment. We'll see, of course, what happens in New York on Tuesday. Thank you very much indeed. All right, so I'm back live. And uh, I don't know if they liked my comments toward the end, but, you know, I am what I am and I, I can only say the truth. And it's just interesting. And what I wanted to point out here was how they asked the questions, right? So these are our, our, our friends across the pond who who are asked the questions almost from a, a position that is, um, you know, presuming the guilt uh, of Trump. And, and, you know, this was prior to the uh, Pelosi stuff being tweeted out. Uh, so I wasn't able to comment on that at that time. But I just found it so interesting that, you know, they, they almost found what I was saying hard to believe because they were almost sold on the idea uh, at least that's how it came across to me. And, and I'm not saying that uh, the, the host, Mark um, Longhurst from GBN, was biased in any way, um, intentionally. I think he's...
biased by our American media coverage that he's receiving in his research to prepare for his own show in the UK. And this is when Trump says, you're fake news. This is why this is so important to call out the fake news, because you have to be able to to make a a a legitimate assessment of what's going on with things. And when, you know, people in the media are legitimately saying that you can't have a uh, a payment to a, a person because they're a porn star or because of whatever, because it's hush money and somehow trying to cast an aspersion on a, a financial settlement for someone's silence, which happens all the time, these uh, non-disclosure agreements, to, to somehow suggest that that's not a part of everyday business and make it seem like it's a crime, it, it to me is just crazy. But we're to the point where you even have some journalists saying, but they're going to have to answer to this in court. And I don't know if they're going to have to. You've already heard several experts now, right? We had Amir Beno on last night who said that this may be resolved in the motions because it's such a weak case, meaning when they show up, hey, how you doing? I'm the attorney for Donald Trump. I'm making a motion to dismiss. I'm making a motion for this and a motion for that, that the whole thing might be resolved there on the papers, on the motions. And Doug Burns alluded to the same thing with no trial. So again, I think Doug Burns was a prosecutor for 38 years in the United States Department of Justice, chief of the criminal division. Uh, Amir Benno, um, 30-year lawyer, he was also in that same office where Alvin Bragg works, uh, although predating him as an assistant uh, district attorney in in New York. Uh, So I I think this is a a fascinating, uh, a fascinating place that we've landed in where, you know, just because it's Trump doing it, it's like, well, look, hey, nobody's above the law. Nobody's allowed to, you know, commit a misdemeanor that both the federal government and uh, both criminally and and in terms of campaign violation, uh, the federal government chose not to pursue this in both cases because it didn't meet their standard to pursue it, not because they were doing him a favor. Anyway, uh, let us give this a shot one more time. I see the phones are flashing, so I think somebody's calling. Oh, there goes Kelly. I was just about to go to you, Kelly. Oh, there you're back. Kelly's on a different line. Wichita, Kansas, KQAM. Go right ahead, Kelly. Yeah, um, on, on Donald Trump, uh, I was under the understanding that uh, Donald Trump had paid for his own campaign. So technically, if that's true, I may be wrong. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong because he wasn't taking outside money. That was his money. Would I be right on that? No, uh, Trump actually was is probably famous for being one of the billionaires that that didn't fund his own campaign, uh, which I think really made his 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 effort to become president that much more remarkable. In that he was able to run and have the support of so many people. Uh, but no, it, the issue here is it, this is a real splitting of hairs. In him saying, "Oh, his attorney says, hey, I paid somebody one hundred and thirty thousand uh, dollars to avoid a potential problem down the road with whatever," and. It's done. Here it is. And he pays it from his personal funds as 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 an expense, a legal expense. Uh, the, the charge that he's being charged with, they're saying, is that this was not just a legal expense, but that this was a campaign expense and that he did this in, in effect to influence his campaign, to protect him and to improve his standing in the campaign. And if it was, then he didn't file the right paperwork as a campaign uh, expense. This is clearly a stretch. Now, another stretch that they've made was saying that this is something that is a misdemeanor of a paper violation in New York City, 
and that they're now going to interpret it through a federal statute, which they don't even have jurisdiction to do. And they're only doing that so that they can use an extended um, statute of limitations. So that's, um, again, another reason a lot of people think this isn't going to go forward very well. Anyway, more on your calls now that the phones are back up and running and we've beat the deep state. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez again will do a fine job, and I know you will enjoy listening to him. All right, let's go to Mike, who's in Sierra, Brazil, listening on WNIR Online. Mike, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? You sound terrific. Quickly, we don't have a lot of time. Go right ahead. Yes, I'll make it, I'll make it very quick, okay? Love your show. Listen to it all the time. Try to Thank call you, brother. Appreciate that. For, try to call us into the couch furniture. I have friends in uh, Tex-Mex, Mexican, in the Moody area, and I had, and I've come to my table here. Oil refineries have been exploding throughout Texas now to Arkansas. It's probably a Soros, Bill Gates production, releasing a lot of toxins. And who they can't depopulate, they'll probably want to try to relocate to those, you know, smart cities. Because energy prices in Ohio alone have, on electric have tripled. And I wanted to get that out there because it just came to me a couple hours ago, earlier in the day. And You know what, Mike? I just want to add to that really quickly. Earlier this year, uh, there were a bunch of... Um you know, suspicious bombings and things of that shootings, even at different like transformer and other energy, uh, both oil places and, and electrical energy places like power grid places. And we had a guest on who specialized. He was a former law enforcement guy that went and got a PhD and uh, was studying this type of thing. And uh, I think his name was Curry Myers, Dr. Curry Myers. And it was a really interesting conversation that we had about this, about this attack on American energy and not from Joe Biden, but from the perspective of actually attacking the infrastructure. So you might be onto something and we'll pay a little extra special attention to that. Uh, I do appreciate the call from Sierra, Brazil. You sound terrific today. I know you've called in the past and it wasn't a great connection, but you sound terrific. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, yes, sir. You bet. And I want to wrap up very quickly with our buddy Phil in Butte, Montana, KXLT. Phil, go right ahead. I think we've got 45 seconds. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to to mention that uh, I think Donald Trump is a stand-up patriot, and I wish more people would wake up to that fact. And while the Democrats are stealing the money, uh, Donald Trump never even took any pay but for $1. He gave the rest to the veterans and charity. Yep, he did. And I I have to agree with you. I think he's a stand-up guy. He donated his pay, helped a lot of people along the way. God bless Trump and everything he's going through. It's tough. Anyway, thank you, Phil. We appreciate it. Big shout-out to KXLT. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. We're going to do it all again on Monday, God willing. Don't go anywhere. There's more radio after this. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.